You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Phishing campaigns afflict users of Microsoft 365 and Adobe, an analysis of Big Head ransomware. Multi-chain reports a crypto heist with over $100 million stolen. CISA makes an addition to the known exploited vulnerability catalog. Progress Software issues additional Move-It patches. The FBI's Deputy Assistant Director for Cyber, Cynthia Kaiser, joins us with examples of the agency's technical disruption operations. Our guest is Scott Piper, Principal Cloud Security Researcher at Wiz, sharing findings of their State of the Cloud 2023 report. And Telegram's role in news about Russia's war. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel Briefing for Monday, July 10th, 2023. Email security company Vade has detected a new email phishing campaign focused on Microsoft 365. The phishing email contains a malicious HTML file that runs JavaScript meant to collect the victim's email address and update a fake login page with the information collected. The script then forwards the victim to the aptly named Evil Core Online. The researchers at Vade determined that the unknown actors are hosting their malicious HTML domains on glitch.me, stating, We found results for related Microsoft 365 phishing attacks online, in which requests to Evil Core Online were made for the phishing applications. Unknown phishers have leveraged the platform glitch.me to host malicious HTML pages. Hackread explains that, Glitch.me is a platform that enables users to create and host web applications, websites, and various online projects. Unfortunately, in this instance, the platform is being exploited to host domains involved in the ongoing Microsoft 365 phishing scam. Vade's research also discovered a similar attack that spoofs the login for Adobe and that uses the same domains as the Microsoft 365 phishing attack. Vade was able to establish a link between the spoofed web login pages and an application named Hawkeye, 
stating, As reported by several cybersecurity actors like Talos, the original Hawkeye keylogger is a malware kit whose story began in 2013. Because several versions were introduced, we don't know if the authentication page is related to Hawkeye keylogger. So, the story and the threat continue to develop. Researchers at Trend Micro have released a technical report about a new ransomware family called Big Head, which emerged in May of 2023. Two variants have been observed. Trend Micro writes, We discovered that both strains shared a common contact email in their ransom notes, leading us to suspect that the two different variants originated from the same malware developer. Looking into these variants further, we uncovered a significant number of versions of this malware. The researchers detailed three versions of the Big Head ransomware. The first seems to be strictly ransomware. The second, however, incorporates an info-stealer that Trend Micro calls Whirlwind into the package. The third variant, called Neshta, seems to be a supplementary file infector that, when employed with either the first or the second variants, can work to serve as a camouflage technique for the final Big Head ransomware payload. Neshta can make an infestation look like a different type of threat, a virus, for example, that can muddle priorities and divert resources from countering the actual ransomware threat. Trend Micro assesses that the actors behind this new ransomware may not be very sophisticated. They say... We also checked their Bitcoin wallet history and found transactions made in 2022. While we're unaware of what those transactions are, the history implies that these cybercriminals are not new at this type of threats and attacks, although they might not be sophisticated actors as a whole. The report adds, Moreover, advertising on YouTube without any evidence of successful penetrations or infections might seem premature promotional activities from a non-technical perspective. From a technical point of view, these malware developers left recognizable strings, used predictable encryption methods, or implementing weak or easily detectable evasion techniques, among other mistakes. Sophisticated or not, the misdirection toward other forms of malign activity is a bit unusual— the bad actors more commonly try to deceive by misrepresenting malware as benign. The record reports that the crypto platform Multichain has suspended its services as it investigates claims that more than $125 million in cryptocurrency was stolen. Multichain is a cross-blockchain exchange service, a bridge, that allows users to exchange cryptocurrency between various blockchains and networks. In a July 6th tweet, Multichain advised all of its users to suspend use of its services and revoke all contract approvals related to Multichain. Crypto Mode reports that the theft covered several assets belonging to Multichain. They say the total haul from the theft amounted to a staggering $126 million. The record says that this isn't the first time a cross-blockchain bridge has been targeted, they say cross-chain bridges like multi-chain continue to be a ripe target for hackers in 2023 after billions were stolen throughout 2022. CISA has added CVE 2021-29256 to its known exploited vulnerabilities catalog. FLAW is a use-after-free vulnerability affecting the ARM Mali GPU kernel driver. 
bleeping computer notes that the vulnerability can let attackers escalate to root privileges or gain access to sensitive information on targeted Android devices by allowing improper operations on GPU memory. CISA adds that Binding Operational Directive 22-01 requires federal civilian executive branch agencies to remediate identified vulnerabilities by the due date to protect FCEB networks against active threats. Google issued a patch for this flaw last week, along with fixes for two other actively exploited Android vulnerabilities. More patches from other vendors may be expected tomorrow, which is, after all, Patch Tuesday. Updates are expected from both Microsoft and Adobe. Security Week reports that Progress Software, whose MoveIt transfer product vulnerability has been felt broadly across many sectors, has issued patches for three security flaws affecting MoveIt. The vulnerabilities could be exploited to steal information. The company says it will begin issuing service packs to simplify the patching process for its MoveIt products, stating, These service packs will provide a predictable, simple, and transparent process for product and security fixes. We have heard from you that a regular cadence and predictable timeline will enable you to better plan your resources and make it easier to adopt new product updates and fixes. As a part of these service packs, we will also be optimizing the installation process to make the upgrade process simpler. Killnet has continued to call for people interested in hacking in Russia's interest to join them, and the hacktivist auxiliary says it's offering training to those willing to sign up. The record by Recorded Future reports that the individual who claims to be the group's founder and leader, known only by their hacker name Kill Milk, is interested in transforming themselves into a private cyber-military corporation, one that could be hired to attack NATO targets under Russian orders. This seems unlikely to happen in the near term. Kill Milk's own conduct during the Wagnerite mutiny was sufficiently ambivalent to open the door for reasonable doubt concerning their political reliability. Unlike the criminal gangs who've made financially motivated attacks against targets in unfriendly states, PLOP, for example, Killnet's mix of brag and DDoS may not easily be monetized. And finally, in a note from Russia's hybrid war against Ukraine, The Verge describes how Telegram, with its small staff, tolerant moderation practices, and large user base, especially in Russia and Ukraine, has enabled an outsized contribution to the sharing of war news. The social medium has been permitted to operate relatively unmolested by Roskomnadzor, Russia's internet regulation body, at least since the last round of attempted censorship was abandoned in 2020. Instead, the social platform has been the locus of free speech, sound information, disinformation, contending narratives, and a range of conspiracy-mongering. The Russian agencies seem to be leaving Telegraph largely alone, because they believe they may be able to break its anonymity and track its users if they haven't already done so. If you're a Telegram user in Russia, sleep with one eye open and keep a good scorecard of Kremlin talking points. Coming up after the break, the FBI's Deputy Assistant Director for Cyber, Cynthia Kaiser, joins us with examples of the agency's technical disruption operations. 
Our guest is Scott Piper from Wiz, sharing findings from their State of the Cloud 2023 report. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Scott Piper is Principal Cloud Security Researcher at cloud security provider Wiz. They recently published their 2023 State of the Cloud report, and I checked in with Scott Piper for the details. There's always been kind of a, an assumption that AWS is, you know, kind of the main cloud provider used by uh, a number of companies. And, and that really is playing out in the data set that we see. Um, no matter how we tried to slice and dice that data, um, you know, we, we did see that, that AWS is the, the major cloud provider there um, and, and by a pretty large gap um, as well. What about companies sort of spreading their information among multiple cloud providers? What are you tracking there? So I think there's there's this kind of myth um, that that you know multi cloud uh, this concept of multi cloud is a common thing where that concept is that you have this you know single architecture that spans across multiple cloud providers and you're able to easily move between them whether that's for uh, you know disaster recovery you know purposes perhaps or or just um, you know just just the ability to move between them maybe to take advantage of you know various costs better features of different clouds um, and we really see that. That's not the case. Um, you know, companies tend to be focused uh, very heavily on a single cloud provider, um, and so and, and there's you know a number of reasons for why that probably is. We we didn't you know really try to identify in in. Uh, in our data, you know, why that is. Um, however, you know, there's there's an assumption that it's probably due to things like data gravity, that it's just difficult to try and move cloud 
your data between the different cloud providers. You know, people tend to focus on the different clouds, and and the reason for that being is that they're very complex, and that's some and that's some data points that we included in the report was just showing the constant growth of the complexity of the cloud providers, and and that's growing in in every way that you can imagine. So, um, you know, whether it's looking at the revenue growth, um, so we looked at the SEC filings of the different cloud providers um, in order to see the the growth of their um, cloud businesses. Uh, but also things like the API growth. Um, so we were able to look at the uh, the SDKs of AWS um, and look at basically the API counts from, I think it was all the way back to 2016. And you can see there's just this constant steady growth of the number of APIs they have. And, and what that means is that as the APIs are growing, the complexity of that cloud is growing. So not only does it have more actions, more APIs that you can take advantage of, it, what that means though is that there's more services, there's more features. Each of those APIs themselves has a growing number of parameters associated with it. And so this complexity is just increasing. And, and I think as a result of that, that's one of the reasons why companies really tend to focus on a single cloud is just that it's it's too hard to try and keep up with you know all the different cloud providers all the different features they have and you know how you could potentially misconfigure them whether that's you know security reasons or uh, you know other types of misconfigurations you can make as well you know all these different reasons I think really you know are encouraging companies or motivating them to you know stay on a single cloud uh, for most of their workloads um, they they really. I believe my personal assumption is the reason that they're spanning some of these clouds um, when they do have multiple cloud providers tends to be things like acquisitions or just, you know, other um, events that are that are causing, you know, some of the different cloud providers to be used. Uh, but it's not really, in my opinion, not like a focused goal for them to attempt to use the other clouds. Well, when you look at the information you've gathered here, what are the risks that organizations face, you know, based on the the types of cloud usage that you're tracking? Interesting things about this report is we tried to not have the report exist as kind of a sales pitch for Wiz. And so looking at the report, it's it's generally accessible to anybody that is interested in the state of the cloud in general, not even cloud security. Um, and so I think that was kind of a different approach that we had with this report is, you know, a lot of times when people put together white papers like this, it's very much a sales pitch for their company in some way. Um, and so we tried to, we tried to avoid that um, a little bit, but we did, we did discuss um, some things. We did, for example, some um, research where we created some uh, public S3 buckets in a couple of different ways. And we were interested in how quickly are those going to be found by attackers. Um, and so, We've seen some some examples where uh, it's it's you know fairly well known amongst cloud security professionals that if you put an AWS access key on GitHub, that that access key is going to be found very quickly by attackers, and they're going to um, they have automated tools that are going to try to uh, use those access keys to spin up cryptocurrency mining is is one of the common things that they do. But we were curious, what if we create a public S3 bucket with a completely random name, nobody can guess this name, and we reference it in a, uh, in a public GitHub repo. So we just you know, basically provide a commit, uh, merge that PR into, into a public GitHub repo, and it just references a public S3 bucket. Will attackers 
find that through automated scripts or other means um, and and try to list the contents of that S3 bucket. And so we we did find that, yes, they they do that. And I, I can't remember the exact number. Um, it was less than 24 hours, though, in which they were able to do it. I think it was maybe hmm. seven hours for this. Um, and then another uh, experiment we did was we, we've seen that there are tools that, that exist publicly that allow attackers to try and brute force guess the names of S3 buckets. Um, so what you do is you, you basically provide these tools with the name of a company, and then they're going to go through a word list in the same way you might perform password cracking, um, in order to guess names of S3 buckets that that company may have. Um, so you can imagine, you know, if it, if it was, uh, somebody trying to look for S3 buckets of whiz, they might try S3 buckets that are named whiz backups, whiz logs, uh, you know, various names like mm. that. And, and with, um, you know, various types of uh, hyphens and, you know, periods, uh, you know, and other types of, you know, separation uh, characters in between those words. And, and so we're curious, well, what if we create some of these S3 buckets with some common, you know, uh, names of companies, you know, popular company names out there and create these S3 buckets and, and, you know, turn on monitoring of them and see how long it takes attackers to find those. Um, and so we found, I, I think for that one, again, the number was less than 24 hours. And I think it was 13 hours um, for that one. That's Scott Piper from Wiz. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Cynthia Kaiser. She is Deputy Assistant Director for Cyber at the FBI. Uh, Cynthia, welcome back to the show. You know, you and I have uh, spoken about how traditionally in the past uh, the the FBI uh, helped victims and and often functioned in a reactive kind of way. But these days you have a, a broader set of tools available to you when it comes to cyber to the point of actually being able to go out and do some technical disruption. Can you share with us what sort of things can you do? Absolutely. I mean, the FBI really has three jobs for the American uh, citizens and American businesses, which is to try to take down adversaries and counter their operations before they ever get a chance to target the U.S., Mm. to share information and um, provide any assistance we can to stop a targeting once it's stop targeting once it's occurred, and then to provide justice to if you ha- unfortunately become a victim to those victims, as well as provide peace of mind and remediation assistance as necessary. So within all of that, I think technical operations fall within almost all of those, but really in that kind of try to prevent space. So the FBI disrupted over three hundred malicious cyber campaigns last year. Now that includes a lot of different actions. Uh, but many of which are highly technical. And I think a great example of this and a recent example of this is our Operation Medusa. Now, Operation Medusa was conducted in May of this year where we led a multi-agency joint cyber operation to globally disrupt Snake, the most sophisticated cyber espionage tool designed by the Russian Federal Security Service. Most people know them as FSB. And they use that for long-term intelligence collection on sensitive targets. So FSB used it to conduct operations against high-priority targets like government networks, research facilities, journalists, and their targeting wasn't random. 
Infection points may have been chosen because of their low security, innocuous reputation, or high traffic volume, specifically due to the information they held, like foreign policy communications. We'd identified snake infrastructure across 50 countries in North and South America, Europe, Africa, Asia, and Australia, including the U.S. and Russia itself. So kind of going into the operation. The FBI, through its technical capabilities, led an effort to mitigate the malware by disrupting its critical functions. So we were able to basically able to render it inoperable, both in the U.S. and then with our partners abroad. I think a great outcome and good read for your readers, and I think you've talked about it on the show before, is the mm-hmm. cybersecurity advisory that we put out, which is just a phenomenal piece, cyber threat intelligence. It's called Hunting Russian Intelligence Snake Malware. And it detailed not only technical mitigations or just the technical details behind the operation, but I think had some of the strongest attribution language in there as well. And it really demonstrated the lengths that we had gone technically to collect, to understand the adversary, and then to be able to counter it. And there are diplomatic elements to this as well. I mean, this really puts the the message out to our adversaries in a way that is um, direct and straightforward. Absolutely. It puts the message out to our adversaries that we are going to ensure that we have our information correct, that we're going to be dogged in our pursuit of ensuring we understand the truth, and that we're going to share that with American businesses and the American public to make it known. But I I like what you said about a diplomatic element there, because I think What's not often thought about when we put out things publicly is the diplomatic element in this space. It provides our allies to have a full technical details rundown of exactly what another country had done, not just to the U.S., but to their own citizens, to um, to people in our allies' countries. It gives them the ability to join us and speak with us and, and talk about cyber norms and the international stage in a way in which you can't do necessarily just with sharing you know, classified information across borders. So that these operations and publications provide such a key element in, I think, the global understanding and global cyber norming that needs to occur in this still relatively new space. An operation like Medusa, where you're able to take down a snake, how much of a setback is that for an organization like the FSB? It's a huge setback. Taking down the tools or taking offline different backdoors, maybe like we did in the in March, uh, the March campaign. So we did that a, little, a few months later in 2021, where China had put backdoors onto thousands of U.S. networks, and we were able to, either through mitigation advice and publications, but then through a technical operation as well, shut those back doors, not enable a massive campaign to continue. That's a huge blow to these organizations because they're spending millions of dollars and you know putting thousands and thousands of hours against conducting operations like this, and we render them ineffective when we're able to conduct these operations. And we buy time so that they have to reconstitute. They have to 
try again, do all of that work again. And that's time in which they're not targeting Americans. For you and your colleagues, there must be a certain sense of gratification as well, personally and professionally. Absolutely. I work with some of the you know best people. And you know, I like to tell people a lot of times, like, I think I have the best job in Washington because every day I get to come in to work and know that I'm keeping my friends, family, and community safe. And that's what drives so many of the men and women across the FBI, and especially at FBI Cyber, is they're not here for the money, trust me. <laughs> they're here because they, they really want to make a difference, and they get to see that difference every day. And that's just exciting. It's exciting to know that you're playing that part in national security. Cynthia Kaiser is Deputy Assistant Director for Cyber at the FBI. Uh, Cynthia, thank you so much for sharing your expertise. Thank you so much for having me. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast where I contribute a regular segment on Jason and Brian's show. We have a lively discussion every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by our editorial staff. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, 
best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Oh, 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 oh,